Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Bex Weller is a sobriety coach and the founder of Sexy Sobriety, but prior to putting down the drinks, Beck was the clipboard girl ordering everybody about in her social circle to keep her alcohol consumption on the steady stream. Bex flat out just stopped drinking one day and she has some great wisdom to share. Please enjoy Last Drinks with Bex Weller. Bex, Rebecca, Rebecca Bex Weller. Oh, that's got such a nice ring to it. <laughs> Bex Weller, can you tell me about your last drink? Yes. And, you know, this is such a cool topic because I've done so many podcasts and I've never talked about this particular moment, but it's so telling, right, these these stories of what our last drinks was like. And for me, I'd known for a little while that I needed to take a break from drinking. The wheels had been coming off for quite a while. And I started to get an idea that I might want to do like a three-month experiment without alcohol, but I was terrified. I didn't think that I could do three months, right? I didn't even think, I think I could do 30 days. Like I'd done 10 days, but that was it. And Mm. all the usual fears of like, but how will I socialize? How will I relax? How will I celebrate? Like, what will people say? Oh my gosh, like, how would I even do this? So these things had been happening for a while. And I thought, I know I need to do this, but I can't do it without saying one farewell, like one last goodbye. Yes. And my love, my who is now my husband, but my love, then he ha- was going out with his volleyball team for a celebration dinner because um, they'd won their tournament or whatever, you, however you say it. <laughs> I'm not very sporty, as you can tell. <laughs> and, I can tell uh, now. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> And, and um, so I had made plans to go visit my parents and my parents live about an hour away and they always had wine and champagne and so there was never any question that I would stay the night. And on the drive there I was thinking I, I should really go in and tell them this is my day one, like I don't want to drink anymore and confide in them because like, you know, they'd always been loving and supportive, like why, why wouldn't I? But there was still this bigger part of me that was like, no, I need to say one last goodbye to alcohol. Like I need to have one last hurrah. Like let me have my last, but let me eat my cake if I'm going to start my diet tomorrow. You know, this kind of strange situation. It's so interesting how our brains do that. (laughs) It's like, okay, well, I'm going to stop doing something. So before I stop it, Oh, like give it a really good nudge. (laughs) What is that? Right. And it's so telling of that, that I really thought I was going to be missing out on something that I thought I had to get one last shot in before Mm. I was about to miss out and go through this period of deprivation and punishment. And sorry, 
I got to my parents' place and I didn't say a word. I didn't say a word to my to my love when I left. I didn't tell anyone. And I just um, started drinking. But the the whole thing was is like, you know, usually I would go see them and we would have drinks and there would be, always I would drink too much, but it would be a period of celebration and it would feel fun and, and like I was letting loose. But this night, because I knew I shouldn't be doing it, it was just tinged in sadness. Mm. And the whole night I was just drinking and thinking, you know, every sip I was like, shouldn't be doing this, shouldn't be doing this. And I drank myself into a blackout. And so I didn't remember like what happened the rest of the night, which was like so many of my other drinking sessions. Mm. And so I woke up in their spare room the next day and I was just like, come on girl like this is enough and so I got up and I told my parents like you know I I need to take a break from drinking because this is not working for me and they were very loving and supportive and I drove home and I still hadn't told my love or anyone else and in the car on the way home for that whole hour I just sobbed and I was just Mm. like beside myself because I was so terrified of what this would mean I was so upset with myself that I hadn't stopped earlier that I that it could have been something that I could have changed earlier and just feeling like every emotion came flooding to the to the surface and I just sort of let it out as I drove back and when I got home I felt relief and even a little bit of hope about this could be different now like things could be different and I got home and I saw my love and I told him like this is going to be my day one now and he was like oh wonderful like he was like finally and but he he was also like but don't you have a a hen's day to go to to tomorrow and I was like oh my gosh I do like how am I and for the you know the first month I had so many social things booked in and of course like that just amped up the anxiety but I was so just that feeling of relief and hope was so good that that kept me going for those first few days did you go to the hen's party yes So you're two days into sobriety and then you put yourself smack bang into a cocktail of disaster. Uh, so you're you're a braver woman than I am. Um, but how so did you tell your friends? Like how did you navigate that first social engagement without a drink in your hand? I was hella awkward. <laughs> I was so <laughs> I you awkward. <laughs> you know, do you know what I found? Like when, because I didn't, I kept doing social stuff because of my job, but I found that first month that I stopped drinking, I just didn't know what to do with my hands. Yes. I was always like, I don't know. What do people do with them? I don't know. <laughs> I felt like there's this really funny movie called Talladega Nights where Will Ferrell <laughs> is being interviewed and like with a reporter and he's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. And I felt like, I'm like, I'm the living, I'm this in living colour right now. I feel so weird. No one probably picked up on it, but in my head I was just like, what are you doing with your hands? Stop doing that with your hands. Should I put them in my pockets? Should I put them on my hips? Like, should I put my one hand on my face? Like, what do I do? Eat the hors d'oeuvres. Eat the hors d'oeuvres. Yes, exactly. Oh. Shove things in your mouth. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, I totally get the hella orky vibes. But yes. you know, did you did you tell friends there that how how does that all play out? 
Yeah. And this was, you know, this was a big group that I had been socializing with for years. And we, I was always the biggest drinker. I was always the first one at the bar. I was the social organizer. My friends used to call me the clipboard queen because I was like, right, we're going to do this. And now we're going to go to this event. We're going to do that. And, you know, like I was always the one bringing everyone together. So to let go of that identity as well, I was like, who the hell would I be? And so I got to this party, I drove myself, which was, you know, a miracle in itself. I never drove to anything. And I I got there and um, a friend asked as soon as I arrived, you know, would you like a drink? And I was like, I'll get it. And just awkwardly bolted over to where the drinks were so that I could just get an orange juice and yeah, just great. like hold that. And then I came back and I said to, to my, one of my friends said, are you driving? And I said, yeah, I am. But I think also maybe I'll take a break from drinking. And she was like, oh, what, just for a month or something? And another friend came over and and, she, and another friend said, or, or forever. And I thought the way that they said it made me think as well, like, have they been talking about me? Like, oh, have they wow. been thinking like it's about time she, she cleaned up her act? Because, yeah. you know, I was 38 at the time. So like everyone else had started to mature a little bit and I was still going crazy at all these With things. clipboard. Right. (laughs) Clipboards in the air. Off we go. Still got the clipboard, guys. Exactly. She's in her late 30s. She's still got it. It's there. But that's interesting that your friend said, is it for a month or for forever? Because the difference between just mentally going something for a month versus it can't just be either one month or forever like it can't be that extreme but when you are on one side of sobriety it can be that intense like it's either for one month or it's just for the rest of your life and there's no anything else you know so that's just an interesting observation on how other people perceive your own journey and your and sobriety in general I guess Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, I, another friend came when she came over, she said, oh, um, you know, she said, oh, forever. And I said, no, I think like three months or something. And they were like, oh, OK. And the way that they were so casual about it, you know, there was just two parts of me where I was like, is are they casual about it? Because three months of not drinking is no big deal to them. It's easy. Or because they're like, finally, this has been coming for a long time. So, of mm. course, like, you know, you have all this paranoia in early sobriety as well because you're doing things differently for the first time and you're like, has everyone, you know, what has everyone been thinking of me? And the funny thing is, don't you think this is so weird, Maz, that we spend so long trying to hide how much we're drinking yep. only to then when we stop drinking, we're trying to hide that we're not drinking, you know, like yeah. it's so such a strange thing. It is so weird and that's also – that's one of the things that um, for anyone listening who's like, mate, I'm not sure how my relationship with alcohol is. I say if you have to dull down the number of drinks you're having because it sounds bad when you say it out loud, that's a huge red flag. So if, mm-hmm. if you're doing it in secret and it because you're ashamed, then that's a pretty telling, you know, situation that if you have to hide things, it's maybe because – you don't want to be honest, which means you're being dishonest, which means you're lying, which means, so all of that stuff plays into it. And cause I do remember, you know, like you get, I get to work on a Monday after a few nights out and you run into work people on the weekends and this and that. And there were a few Mondays where a work colleague would look at me with this particular look of like, gee, you had a big night on Saturday. <laughs> and I'd look at them and in my brain go, 
I don't remember seeing you. Um, <laughs> but obviously you saw me. <laughs> so, and then you just have to like go along with it and be like, yeah, you know, like I had a few wines and they're like a few. You're like, yeah, it was just a few. Like it wasn't that bad, you know, and you just constantly underplaying and it takes a really brave person I think to just be honest the first person you have to be honest with is you so you just straight up quit drinking went to a hen's party and you were just a baller about it (laughs) you were like yeah I'm having a few months off like you make it sound easy Oh my gosh, it so wasn't easy. Like it's I not was easy. petrified. Not at all. No, God, no. And like, you know, for, for those first few days as well, like I just was beside myself. Like I, the tears did not stop, like constantly. Everything mm. where I was terrified of like the next, because like the hens thing was just, um you know, like eight days before the actual wedding. So I had to go to the, the wedding as well in my first month of sobriety. I had my 39th birthday in the first first 30 days I had a family trip away where my family are always big drinkers as well so there were so many things and and it was just like you know some some events would go okay like I I remember I had a a night out with my colleagues and they are just hilarious and fun anyway like my ex-colleagues um we all went out one night and because they are so like so funny and entertaining I, I didn't really miss it. And that night I got home and I was like, oh my God, I did I can socialize without alcohol. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Yeah. But then other events you go to are really, really tricky. Like, you know, the wedding was a a stand-up um, cocktail party at a bar. And so like that was super hard. And you're talking yeah. to people you don't know and you're seeing people that you do know but who only know you as a big drinker. And, you know, there were it was such a roller coaster of emotions. Mm-hmm. And some nights I would just go to bed at like 7 p.m. and just get under the covers and be like, please let it be over. Like, oh my yeah. gosh, like let it get easier. <laughs> yeah, it gets easier. But you make a really great point, Bex, that there is no good time to stop drinking because there's never going to be a month or two or three where there's not something on where alcohol will be around. There's never going to be a clear calendar. Mm-mm. And you can't always clear the calendar because there's stuff no. that you you can't, you don't want to miss out on your friend's wedding and you shouldn't have to miss out because you're not drinking either. And this no. is why society, in my opinion, is just so up the wrong way. Yes. Like why, why the people who are like, I'm not putting poison in my body and causing, wreaking havoc in my life, why are those people being punished by mm-hmm. it being weird at the wedding if you don't have a drink in your hand? But I think, you know, the ties are changing. But there's no – so your initial sort of stint was like a three-month experiment? Yes, exactly. And then what happens? what happens at the end of the three months? I, I realized, oh my God, this is so much better. The peace, the the tranquility, the, um, you know, just the things like the waking up in the morning and not having to look for my handbag to see, is my phone still there? Who, who did I message? Did I write anything embarrassing on Facebook? 
you know, like all these cringy things and who do I need to apologize to? And the blackouts as well were just terrifying. I hated not knowing things. And like you say, like you run into a, a colleague and you can't remember seeing them before, or, you know, Dom would, my, my love Dom would tell me, oh, you know, so-and-so helped to put you into a cab last night. And just those things, like I was like, I don't want to be doing that anymore. I don't want to be the lush of the group. I want to be feeling some some self-worth and some self-confidence. And I started to feel all of those things. And so when I got towards 90 days and, and towards even 100 days, because I was like, 100 is a good round number, right? 100 yeah. like, it, it sounds like it's doable, but it's less than forever. And I got to that 100 <laughs> days. significantly and, less yeah, than forever. Right? <laughs> Like forever versus 100 days feels like a blip on the radar compared to forever. Exactly. But it was such an easier concept for my head. And like yeah. you say, like this is what I had been led to believe by society is that you you either, are, you know, are a drinker and, and you can control yourself or you are a non-drinker and you pine for it for the rest of your life. And I was mm. like, I can't go down like that. Like I, I'm such a, I, I, I really value fun and enjoyment and bliss in life and joy. And I need all those things. I can't be just white knuckling it for the rest of my life. Totally. But I got to this sort of 9100 day point and I thought, God, I feel good. Like I feel really good. And I'm really actually enjoying this much more than I thought I would. What if I made it 180 days? Like what if I did six months, like just to see what that feels like, because Hey, I'm on a roll. Like, why not? Yeah. And so that's what I did. Like, I moved the goalpost out to six months. And when I got there, I was like, well, I wonder what a one year feels like. If this feel already feels way better. Yeah. And I just kept moving that post until like it was a non-issue. Like now I'm uh more than eight years sober and it just is I'm just a non-drinker now. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't have to think about it or anything because I'm like, no, I'm just happy how I am. You get this sort of new identity along the way. Mm. And I, because I remember looking down the barrel of sobriety going, I don't know who I am without a drink in my hand. One of the beautiful parts for me was realizing that I was able to find myself in sobriety and love that person. And the reason that I drank is because I didn't value myself. And I had imposter syndrome and I had trauma that I hadn't dealt with and and all this stuff going on and I was suppressed, suppress, suppress, <laughs> go out, be rowdy, get attention, you know, feel good for five minutes, feel like rubbish for a weekend. Like this vicious cycle my entire adult life, all through my 20s and early 30s. And so when I found my sobriety, I found my true self and and then I learned to love the shit out of her. And that, finding that is the best awakening anyone can experience. And you don't find that person on day one or day 30 or I don't know what day it was, but at some point I remember going, oh, my God, I can see myself and she's great. And that, mm-hmm. like, that inner peace, when that drops into your spirit, you just like, and now I want everyone in the world to feel this. <laughs> like everyone exactly. needs to, everyone bottle this. What am I, whatever this is, bottle that and sell that. Because <laughs> it's gold, <laughs> it's liquid gold or whatever it is, right. you know. What is like the most surprising thing that happened 
out of your sobriety? I suppose one of them was that it it became my whole career because at the time, like I was, I was health coaching, but I never believed that I would ever help anyone else get sober. Like I didn't think I could do it myself. And so the fact that now I write about it, I mentor others, I coach others, like that blows my mind because it definitely wasn't the trajectory I was on. Like I was a cost engineer in a global energy company before I left there to become a health coach, which was on a whim. And then, you know, suddenly I snowballed into doing all of this sobriety work. So like that blows my mind. Like how did I get onto this path? Um, But also, you know, like really, I think the relationships and stuff, like when I was a teenager, before I started drinking, I was so shy and so timid and unsure of myself and and really a, a real introvert as well not that those things go hand in hand but you know learning to to like and love myself through sobriety has been so amazing because I don't think I ever got there before I started drinking mm-hmm. and then also um, to re-embrace because when I was drinking, I would pre-game. So I would drink before I would go to every event so yeah. that I would have the courage to go in the door. At the time, I thought I was just being festive and having fun. Now I realize, oh, I was actually a bit socially anxious and awkward. And, uh, you know, that introvert in me was like, I need something to help me get there. And now I I really embrace that introverted side of me where I'm like, okay, you know, I love now, whereas before it was always more is more, like when it came to drinks or when it came to friendship groups. If I want more people to hang out with because then if some go home, I've still got more people at the bar, you know. <laughs> but now I really love like one-on-ones, like because these sort of kind of deep conversations, it just I, it feeds my soul, you know, that might sound corny, but it really like lifts me up. And so I feel find that the way I connect with people is very different where I love doing a lot of one-on-one dates like we go for smoothie dates or walks around the park or you know doing different activities and that kind of blows my mind as well that was such a big adjustment of what I thought my adult identity was. I have self-labeled as (laughs) and like I'm an introverted extrovert so I'm an extrovert in the sense that I'm a performer and I can stand on a stage and talk to 50,000 people and it ain't no big deal. And I and I would never need to have a drink to do that. But my the way that I reset and regroup is spending time alone, so I need a lot of alone time. So there's this extroverted side of me and then the, and then I really truly am an introvert. But because of the way my career played out, I always found myself in group settings and that's really confronting for an extroverted introvert. And so I I don't do group specs. Like mm-hmm. I don't do, I, I'm similar to you. Give me one girlfriend and a bushwalk and a picnic and I'm in. Get me a group and I feel so self-conscious, so anxious, so not good and th- those were the situations that I would pregame because mm-hmm. I now realize I'm not a groups person. Like even when I had my son, I didn't join the mother's group, not because I have anything against mother's groups, but I just said to the midwife, I'm like, babe, I know myself and I don't do groups and going to a mother's group is going to cause me 
more anxiety than if I have my two mum friends that I met in my pregnancy yoga class and we do one-on-one play dates with the babies. And so I figured out what worked for me, but Mm. it took me so long (laughs) and like so much drunken debauchery and so much sobriety just to figure out what works for me because of inherently who I am. And I think society labels like, extrovert as people who are good in crowds maybe which is what I am but I'm actually and like my husband's an extrovert he will talk to the neighbor for four hours like he will stand on the front freaking lawn and I'll be like babe like but he loves socially interacting and he loves a chat even though I talk for a living which is hilarious but if I'm not doing this I'm like, leave me alone. But he's, it, he's, it's so funny. He's, di- he's so different because he truly is an extrovert. And his worst case scenario is alone time. Whereas I'm like, get the hell away from me. Everyone yes. gives me space so that when I come to the, the room or the group or the show or the podcast or whatever, I'm, I'm good. And I've got my cups full and I can, you know, perform out of this really great balanced and centered place and Mm -hmm. I think knowing thyself I'm pretty sure a philosopher said something about it it's it's so important and you I really don't think that you can get to know yourself unless you're sober yeah because you you have so much like people always talked about clarity and I always thought what are they banging on about (laughs) what's that (laughs) clarity okay But when you stop drinking, like you really start to get it. Hey, like you really, this, this new level opens up for you where you start to also be able to, um, follow, like realize that you're, what you're doing with your own actions. Like now I, you know, I can call myself out on so many things of like, oh, hang on. I acted like that because I was scared of this. Or, you know, you start to realize who you are and like where your behaviors are coming from. And part of that comes back to like healing past traumas and things like that. But also really realizing that who you are is, is, is awesome. Like to be unique and to, to have special talents and abilities and preferences is really cool. Like how, how boring would it be if we were all cookie cutter images of each other? And I think when we first stopped drinking, I was always the one hosting parties and things as well because I always wanted people around to drink with. And when I started hosting things when I was sober and found myself like so overwhelmed because I, you know, big groups, first of all, and then I had to run around and make sure everyone's okay and and having a good time and stuff. And that was a lot easier when I was drinking because I was, you know, I was half here and I was half not here. But yeah. uh, but when I'm sober, it, it was it was just a lot of pressure and it was really exhausting. And to go to big group events, I found I could only go for two hours before I was really like exhausted and needed alone time and I thought that meant there was something wrong with me because in society we tend to think oh you know you should be able to be socializing all the time like we we value extroverts and and to realize that well there's nothing wrong with me it's just that I prefer to socialize in these different ways that's a, a breakthrough like it's a really cool thing where you're like oh my god life could be easier if I just like embrace who I really am <laughs> it's so true you mentioned before, Bex, that there was a lot of emotions, <laughs> a lot of oh, feelings, yeah. <laughs> and I hear you loud and clear. Um, and I think that that is a key deterrent for a lot of people 
who are like, I want to stop drinking, but I don't want to feel the feelings. And the reason that I drink is I don't feel the feelings. Mm -hmm. What helped you manage that, all of that? Oh my gosh. There's so many things that really help like when it comes to self-care and like really slowing down and, and taking care of yourself. But the one thing I think really helped me the most was to sit with the emotions because I was great at running from them. <laughs> like I felt like I had been running from them my entire life and I felt like when I stopped drinking, it was payback time. They were all coming for me, all these emotions I hadn't wanted to feel and had pushed down for so long. And to actually sit with them and I heard something in a, I think it was a podcast or something one day um, where it were, where a woman said, you know, emotions, think of them, they're very transient. Think of them like clouds across the sky. And so if you just sit there and watch the clouds, they're going to they're gonna pass. And so I would go, like when I would feel all the emotions rise, I would say to myself, all right, come on, like let's sit down in a room like with myself. And I would be like, all right, give it to me. What's What, what have you got? What's the problem here? <laughs> you know? yeah. And really start to explore them. And I found that if I just sat there and I felt them, and even if I would journal or I would speak it out loud or I would just think about it, usually journaling or speaking it out loud helps more than going around and around in your head, I find. Mm -hmm. But if I would just like get to the bottom of what it was, and usually it was like a fear about something or, you know, in early sobriety, everything felt so emotionally charged and loaded. So if a friend didn't text me back, oh my gosh, I would fly off the rails of like, oh my gosh, why isn't she texting me back? Did I do something wrong? Does she not like me now? Cause I'm not drinking. Oh my gosh, you know, the world is ending. And so to really sit with those emotions and say, like, I'm scared that, you know, that I'm not going to be accepted now that, I, that I'm not drinking. And I would just then start to understand those emotions and to realize that, okay, I can turn this around. Like, okay, if you think that you're not going to be accepted in what you used to do when you were drinking, what if you do something differently? Like what if you invite a, a friend to a yoga class or you're still getting that connection that you want but in a different scenery or a different perspective and that being able to sit with those emotions like I still use that today because it is so helpful because otherwise we end up online shopping or scrolling or eating junk food or any of the other tools you know that humans use to run away from their emotions we will keep doing that if we don't sort of sit and be able to really accept and allow those emotions to come forth I guess. I think putting language to emotions is really important. It's a skill that isn't taught. But, you know, I think if you ask somebody, it's like, name your feelings. It's like, well, happy, sad, pissed off. That's about that's about the run of the mill. But there's so many more words that we can use to articulate what we are feeling. And when you can put language to it and name it, it's so prevalent for a lot of people who might be going, I want to stop drinking, but I'm so scared of all the feelings that are going to come up. They're going to come up. I can promise you they will mm -hmm. all come up, but you'll be in a place where you are better able to manage and maybe mm -hmm. process and walk through those emotions. I go to the library with my son. He's three and a half every week. And we always try and find a children's book about emotions because I want to teach him about emotions. And we got this book from the library the other day and it's called The Little Sad Unicorn. And Bex, it has helped me. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, honey, are we reading the little sad unicorn book tonight? Yeah, yeah, great. 
So this, it's just this cute story about a unicorn whose rainbow mane changes different colors based on how he's feeling. And one day at school, he gets left out of the group. And so he feels sad and his mane goes blue and he gets home and he's still thinking about it. And then there's this little gray cloud that appears in his head and it has a breathing exercise of how to get the gray cloud out of your head. So you breathe in, hold your breath for a moment and breathe out. And then when the gray cloud gets out of your head, the sunshine can shine. It's the cutest story in the world, right? So the other day, so this is, I read this to my three and a half year old. We've had it for a couple of weeks because we keep reborrowing it from the library. (laughs) And the other day I was just having a down afternoon. My dad just passed away. It's been sad times at home, but my son, he just knew, I wasn't crying, but he just knew that mommy was a bit meh. And he was like, are you okay, mum? Which is, first of all, the cutest thing in the world. I was like, no, I'm a bit sad. And he goes, like the unicorn? And I'm like, yeah, I I feel like the little sad unicorn. And he goes, are you going to blow the grey cloud out of your head? And I was like, this is gold. It's gold for my son, but it's gold for 42-year-old Maz who's been able to like, yeah, I had a grey cloud in my head. And, yeah, I was feeling sad. And yes, we blew it out. And yes, the sun was shining again. And I was like, this is brilliant. But it's more, it's it's like find a story that works for you because when we tell ourselves those stories that involve language around our feelings, we can articulate and then feel them and get through the feelings. Like you don't have to sit in it forever, right? Yeah, of course. My gosh. And they're they're so transient. And I love that so much. Like wouldn't life have been easier if we had books like that all the way through school, like how to deal with your emotions. Instead, we're taught like, you know, push all emotions aside and get on with it. And so, you know, when in in early sobriety, I remember there'll be times where I would just be sobbing because, you know, of something that I didn't even know. And my, my love would be like, what is wrong? Use your words. But I could not articulate the emotions because I'd never really felt them or allowed myself to feel them. And so I was just beside myself of like, I have no idea, but the more you wade through them, the more you realize how cool it is that we get to feel all of this spectrum Mm. of emotion that we're not numbing ourselves because the highs that I feel now, like the high and the bliss and the joy is so much higher than it ever was when I was drinking. And now when, when I go to celebrate something and I, when my first book was published, my friend said to me, did you, were you even a little bit tempted to pop the champagne to celebrate? And I was like, oh, wow. no, because I wouldn't ruin that feeling. Like that yeah. feeling was so high. And I know that drinking would, would numb it down because it does. It numbs the the hard things, but also numbs the good things. And so now because the good things feel so good, I'm like, no, I'll take the whole, the whole kit and caboodle because it's good to feel the entire spectrum. Like it makes you feel more alive. It makes you feel more human. So I totally agree with what you were saying there before about, um, as we go through sobriety, we get better at it and you learn more tools to deal with it. And those tools help you not just with sobriety, but then throughout the, your entire life, like with every situation or anything life throws at you, you can deal with it better and navigate it better because you're doing this work with your emotions. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Hold up. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 